Welcome to the Coach's Show podcast. Thrilled to be joined by Steve Mariucci. Coach, we're going to talk some ball. This is the Super Bowl. This is my first Coach's Show podcast it's, of the year. You know what? Huh? The, I love the podcast because yeah. we can really talk ball. We're not we're constrained. Off we're not. That's right. <laughs> we're not constrained by time or space, so we can really get into some ball. All right, good. Let's 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 start with. Obviously, we've been talking about these teams all year or, or all month long. We've been talking about them all week long. Let's begin with where they are in their preparation. Today was the first day they actually got back on the practice field. That's got to be a real relief for them because now it finally feels like this thing's going to happen. Well, luckily, the 49ers are practicing in the Saints facility, okay, the indoor facility. I want to find out where in the heck the Ravens are practicing right. because it's raining here in New Orleans, all right? And they were supposed to be on Tulane's baseball field, and I don't know if they got a good practice in oh, or not. I tell you what, I'd have screamed like a stuck pig <laughs> if they if they had put me in, in my super. Can you imagine we, that? Well, it's when our, as we talked about before on the coaches show last week, for us, I'm talking about the year that we went to the Super Bowl, like the Ravens, we had to go the wild card route. We okay. needed that bye week, so we did nothing physically. Okay. Got the game plan in mentally. Sunday, so I was really counting on this week of preparation to physically get back into the flow, and we didn't have any weather issues in Tampa, but if I'd have come in and we'd have been on a baseball field and it had been sloppy, I'd have gone ballistic. Ballistic. I know. I, so I, I don't know. I'm, I'm curious to find out if, if John said, hey, listen, we need to get to that facility. We'll, we'll go some other time, but at least have a good practice indoors. It's going to be on a turf field anyway. I, I was very surprised that they were stuck over there at uh, Tulane's baseball field. You know, and for me, as the game wound down, Wednesday was great because it was the first time after they had Sunday off, they traveled on Monday, had media day yesterday, all the things that are the, the Super Bowl come crashing down on you. But now I'm getting back on the field. I'm getting a meeting, so that feels good. I'm ready to go. Thursday, good practice. But I felt by Friday it was like, God, it is a lifetime to Sunday. That's a long time okay. from the practices on what did you Friday. Do? Did you cut Friday back and have Saturday walk through? What did you do? Actually, what we did, I actually put the pads on, which was unique for me. because I'm not allowed I, to do that anymore. Well, not anymore. But, no, I think you, get, uh, you, you now can pick up a padded practice. Uh, you get extra padded practices in the playoffs. But I felt like, because we did nothing the week before. Okay. We literally had nothing but walkthroughs. Oh. So I wanted to kind of get the pads back underneath us, kind of get back into, because we needed that extra week off. We actually had a, now we didn't go kill one another, don't sure. get me wrong, but we put the pads back on, we hit around a little bit just to get the pads back underneath us. I put them through their paces pretty good on Wednesday and Thursday, backed off on Friday and made it, you know, the typical Bill Walsh perfect practices, went through every play and went through <laughs> what it. What chapter in your book is that? Uh, that's a chapter 457. <laughs> On page 732, <laughs> Perfect Fridays. I know you read that you, book. Listen, I got it, the notes and everything like that, but no mutiny on, with your padded practice on Friday before the Super Bowl? You know, we're going to talk about that I on our coaches are. show. You know, John Harbaugh uh, had a little bit of a mutiny during the course of the season, and we're going to talk about it on our coaches show about, uh, and we've been there before, because I've been with that veteran group in Baltimore mm -hmm. now. He was going to, I think it was in October sometime, and he said, okay, guys, he felt like, like all we coaches do. Oh, we need to do this, that, and the other. I'm going to put you back in the pads today. And they went ballistic in the team <laughs> meeting. And I, I'm sure you've been in that situation where things burr up a little bit. Now, when you got an Ed Reed and a Ray Lewis, yeah. you know, in the old days, they'd think it, but they wouldn't say anything. That group right. I had and that group they have now, it's, you know, bull. They got a lot, yeah. of, a lot of player Wait, What are you doing? And then that opened up kind of a Pandora's box of the bitching and moaning as the troops will do sometime. And it sounds like John Harbaugh handled it. You ever have an uprising? You ever had a sense where the team was just ready to come at you and go, we ain't doing it? 
<laughs> yes, I did with the 49ers. And Merton Hanks and Gary Plummer went out with hats on. And I said, we're not doing hats. We don't do that. You used to do hats in my first year at the 49ers. I said, get your helmets on. I know it's Friday, but it's not hat Friday like right. it used to be. So they finally caved in a little bit. However, they got the last laugh because I was doing an interview. I was doing an interview with some English news team from London after the practice. And they said, all right, we're throwing you in the pool. <laughs> You're going. <laughs> so I got my wish with the helmets in the practice. But they got you back. They got me back. You better believe it. Well, and John handled it well. And, and, and I think that set the tenor for later in the year when he had to make the change at the coordinator. And I'm not sure. I don't know. This is strictly conjecture on my part. Denny and I have talked about it a great deal. Uh, some of that probably had to do with the troops that were on, you know, didn't wanted to see offensively do something different, not the least of Joe Flacco. And it led to the ouster of Cam Cameron, which is a little dangerous. But I think it looks to me like John, via the other thing we talked about, said, okay, I'm listening to you like I listened to before, but you know what? This one's on you now. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do this, and I, and I will do this. I'll do what the team needs. But by God, you guys better, you yeah. better be successful. Yeah, and that's one of the strengths of John Harbaugh because he's communicative. He'll listen, like you said, listen, and that's pretty important because you've got some veteran guys that you really ought to listen to. They're not a bunch of rookies and, and wet behind the ears. So, so John's done well with that. Both Harbaugh's have done that. I think they learned a lot from Jack. Yeah, now, what a great resource for them. And I think every, I'm constantly being asked, how, how different are Jack and Jim, or excuse me, John and Jim? I don't know that at their heart, if it were strictly up to them, that they would have two teams that look vastly different from one another. But the difference is they have different teams here. John has a very veteran team. He's got some guys that have been here before. And the way he's handling it as compared to Jim, Jim's got kind of a new group that he's got to kind of lead the way a little bit more than John. And their, their role on their team is a little bit different, too, when you have a head coach that's also involved heavily with the offense and the play calling. That's an added responsibility. You and I both know that. That's something that's, that's very heavy on your plate. Uh, whereas John, you know, he's got coordinators that do a heck of a job, and he'll manage the game as a head coach from the sidelines on game day. And so, uh, you know, it, there's some similarities, yes, but there are some vast differences as Let well. Let me ask you about that, because Denny and I have gone round and round, and we've both done it as head coaches, called the offense. Did you call the offense when you in San Francisco? <clears throat> yes and no. When I first got there, I installed the offense and called the plays. But I looked for somebody to take that over right. because I felt like it was a lot to do, and especially in my second year. It's a different scenario because we lost our owner, too, right. uh, Mr. DeBartolo, who hopefully is in the Hall of Fame after Would Saturday. You? Um, and we lost Carmen Policy, and we lost our front office, basically. So I, I was getting spread thin with player right. personnel and all of those right. things. So I said, I need somebody to call plays. I don't have enough time in a day to right. prepare. So I had Marty Morningwig do it, and he did a nice job. And I agree with you 100%. <clears throat> I think it's a mistake. And there's guys that do it that are brilliant at it. But I think they're the, those that try to call the plays and be the offense. You and I have both been coordinators. Mm -hmm. And we know when we were coordinators, it was all-consuming. It was 24-7. I call it the 3 a.m. rule. When you woke up at 3 in the morning, you and I are near the same age, and we wake up every day at 3 a.m., don't we? Yeah. Just for a little bit. You're exactly right. I, and I, what are you thinking about? If you're thinking about the fullback in the flat, or am I putting this guy at 14 yards, you're an offensive coordinator. Well, then you become a head coach, and all of a sudden now you can do both. You can be that offensive play caller, that yeah. guru, and do all the things. Yeah. I, I don't know how you do it. Yeah, and, and, uh, and I learned if I were to be critiquing and critical of myself as a head football coach, I can see now that I was a much better play caller 
when I was just the coordinator right. than when I was a head coach and a play caller. I was, because you know me, Brian, I'm all over the map on right. the sidelines, I'm yelling at officials, wanting to talk to the trainers and timeouts and challenges and defense and all that. And that, that takes you away from right. the concentration an offensive play caller needs to have. And so but I, to not do it means you're not doing the things that the head coach should be doing. If you discipline yourself to do just that as a play caller, yeah. who's you, doing those head coaching You can't things? be a part-time head coach. Right. That's your A exactly number one right. responsibility. So I was always yearning for, and then when Marty Morningwing left and went to Detroit as the head coach, I wanted to find another play caller because I got used to doing it that right. way. And then, of course, uh, Greg Knapp became right. that guy. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit about this game because we don't have a lot of opportunity. To, <clears throat> let's just talk about... As we come into the game, and everybody's asking, who do you think is going to win? In the last 10 years of Super Bowls, I've come in with a very strong feeling about this team was A or B was better. Didn't mean it turned out that way. This team, I, I wouldn't begin to try to handicap this game. I, I don't know how you pick the – I think both match up very, very well. I can see the physicality of the 49ers being the difference in this game because I think they are a more physical team. But I can see the talent level of the offense of the Baltimore Ravens and Joe Flacco <laughs> being the difference for the Baltimore Ravens. So who are you picking? You're gonna, oh we're going to wait on that? You know, no, you know what? If Come I, on, you're an old I, Raven. I, I think I, when on my playbooks last year, Niners. last week I did, I think I did uh, Baltimore. Um, you can't flip-flop, can you, each day? You know, yeah, you can. Depends on then, how they practice. But then when it's all done, I can say, oh, see, I picked it. I picked it just right. I, you know, I just <laughs> think it's Baltimore's time. I do. <clears throat> do I, ju- I think they have enough Are they confidence. a team of destiny? You know what? Every team is a team of destiny up to the point they lose. The New York Giants <laughs> believe they were a team of destiny, uh-huh. destiny before we yeah. kicked their ass in 30 Bowl, Super Bowl 35. Well, this is a podcast, and I, you can't see what I'm wearing, but you see this red tie? Ah, well, you got to pick 49. That was a Freudian slip this morning, so I, everybody asked me that now over on Radio Row. And I but do a, you really believe that? Do you think the yeah, 49ers? Yeah, here's why. I, I, first of all, I love this game. I love the style of play with both of these teams because we're entering into a, an era of – shotgun, spread them out, pass the ball around kind of offense. You know, there's more passes and more points and more offense now than ever before because we're wide open. And the rules. And the rules. Call it finesse, call it passing game, whatever you want. But these teams are not that. These are great, tough, physical defenses, and the teams built these defenses purposely for that. They both run the ball very well, and they're stubborn with the run. I love that part of it, too. And like you mentioned that the skilled players – over there with the Ravens, probably have the edge. Anquan Bolden and Torrey Smith are probably a better receiving core than the Niners have right now with Randy Moss, who I guess he says he's the best receiver of all time, but he's, he's lost a step, right? And yeah, Michael But Crabby, you know what? You still better back up. You better. And so <clears throat> the tight ends will have a factor yes. in this game for both teams. They both have two good tight ends. But I love the run game, and I love the option, and I love the smash mouth. And, uh, you know, we're not, we're not all spread just yet. we got some coaches that love that old style of football. If I'm the Ravens, I am worried about – I had the Ravens against uh, uh, <clears throat> Dallas in the middle of the season before Ray got hurt. Dallas ran for 220. Mauled them. Mauled the Baltimore Ravens. And the Baltimore Ravens <laughs> – Who was missing in that game, though? For the Ravens. Did they have uh, Ray? They ended up they losing have... Ladarius Webb, which was hurt, but didn't affect the running game. Right. It, it affected them going down the way, and they right. ended up losing Ray. But that was late in the game. Okay. So about, they were pretty much. Alodi play. Alodi, but he wasn't full strength. Okay. Maki Kimoatu, I don't think, played, and that made a difference. It's easy um, for you to say. <laughs> but I, even a healthy Baltimore Raven team, I'm not sure that the 49ers aren't <clears throat> capable of mauling them the way a number of teams did. In the playoffs, Indy, 
Denver and New England aren't that style of play. Right. Their running game wasn't going to match up against right. the Baltimore Ravens. They're a different style. The San Francisco 49er team, that offensive line on playbook today, you're going to talk about that offensive line of the 49ers. They have the ability to maul this Raven defense. They do, and if Dallas gave them fits, uh, Houston ran for 181, and Kansas City ran for 214 against this Raven team, and so did Washington now with some option right. with RG3. So they've got to they've got to improve in those areas to stop the run game, particularly this pistol zone read offense. Okay, everybody's got to talk about the quarterbacks. How? End of the day, we all know it. We know the story. We know Colin Kaepernick. We've all seen him play. This is the Super Bowl. How is Colin Kaepernick going to play? <laughs> you know what? I I thought that he would have a bad day at the office sooner or later and he, yeah, he had a pick six you know against the Packers didn't blink you, you see him in, in certain games where he'd make a mistake but he didn't play poorly for a whole half he he seems to have some thick skin he seems to be very resilient and water off a duck's back if something bad were to happen um, I wanted to see if he could play from behind. Well, geez, he was 17 to nothing down right. against right. Atlanta. It wasn't all, you know, like against the Bears, 32 to 7, control the game from the start. And so he's, he's had to come from behind with that pistol offense run game. So I don't have any reason to think, no. other than he's only got nine starts under his belt, well, that he might have a glitch. And I'm, if I'm uh, Jim Harbaugh, I'm thrilled <laughs> that he had that adversity the pick six against Green Bay, being down against Atlanta. Because if they had just rolled yeah. like they're capable, yeah. like you said they did against Chicago, uh, they come into this game, then we don't know how he reacts to those situations. Now we've got a sense of it, and it's not too big for him. You know, he's, he seems to be under control with it. I, I worry a little bit of when a young person says, no, nah, this game's not too big for me. I know what it's <laughs> yeah, all about. That stuck with you, didn't it, oh, the media that, day? You know, I want, I, want a little, I want to know you know enough to be afraid. Okay, <laughs> fear is good. It's like pain. It's your body's way of saying, eh, don't do that. Well, the advice that Steve Young gave him, he said, give him two words, humility and fear. Right. Well, well, he, you know, what that, that what, 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 uh, what did uh, Crash uh, Davis in uh, Bull Durham say? I don't know. An athletic arrogance. You've you got to go. have an athletic arrogance about you to be in the show. He certainly has that athletic arrogance, I, but it's in a humble enough way. It's an intriguing guy. I didn't know you were a movie buff. Oh, how huge. Yeah. Susan Sarandon and uh, oh, yeah. our boy. It's a... Uh, uh, Anyways, we digress. Uh, all right, let's talk about Joe Flacco. Is, okay. uh, even is he elite? With, even without, yeah, even without, with, if he gets the Super Bowl, it's a slam dunk. If he doesn't get the Super Bowl, is he an elite quarterback? And what yeah. is an elite quarterback? He's the next paid man in this league because he's earned it. He's, yeah. he's won enough games, 62 wins in his five-year career, more than anybody in the last five years. I said anybody, any other quarterback. Is it all because of him? No, they've got a good team surrounding him. But, you know, he's, he's, uh, he runs an offense that happens to be very balanced. You can run the ball. Bernard Pierce was a good get uh, to spot Ray Rice. Absolutely. In fact, actually running better than Ray Rice. He's right got now. more yards now yeah. in the playoffs, right? So, uh, you know, and he's got weapons galore on offense to throw the ball. Anquan Bolden is a beast. And then Torrey Smith's their speed guy that Ozzie drafted a couple years ago. So, you know, and Joe's the exact right guy. He's kind of cool. He's a cool customer. Uh, he doesn't seem to get flustered. They've been beat down a couple times this year. Houston really took right. him to the woodshed. But he's a resilient guy. came right back and win the next game. And, and so uh, he can do that. You know, I live in the Baltimore <clears throat> area, and one of the criticisms people have of Joe is because he does have a fairly calm demeanor about him, which is a good thing to a degree. But, well, he had, you know, when you think of, of a Super Bowl championship team, you usually can just name the quarterback right now because yeah. he's usually your leader, and, and the great Super Bowl teams well, and dynasties. How will could happen. anybody else be the leader exactly with Ray on the team? Right, and that's not it's not Ray's fault. 
It's not Joe Flacco's fault. Until Ray leaves, and this is going to happen after this game, then it will become Joe Flacco's team. Yeah. But Joe Flacco, no matter what his personality is, this is going to be Ray Lewis's team. So to hold that knock against him, that he hasn't made it his team, I think you're ignoring the circumstances surrounding him. Yeah, and I think he's smart not to try to be the voice in the face of this team just yet because it would be premature. You know, you, 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 let, you let the man for 17 years do his thing, and then when it's your time, it's your time. But just play well, and he has done just that. He's been very good. How about the big comeback win against Denver in mile high? That's unbelievable. And we talked about that team of destiny. When you have a play like that, whether it be the fourth and 29 against San Diego and the terrible tackling of the San Diego Charger team, but it doesn't matter, you converted it, that unprobable play uh, uh, against Moore and Denver where it's, God, my, just back up. Third and three. Just back up. 70 yards. And and if he knocks that thing down or intercepts it, the game's over, and we're talking about probably, I don't know, maybe New England, but talking about Peyton Manning and the Denver Broncos, and they would have been 12 in a row then and whatever it is. And now, all of a sudden now, Baltimore is that team of destiny, and you believe it. And we would maybe be talking about if, if they don't make that play, is Joe Flacco going to be given that big contract, right. that $100 million? Because what a huge mistake it was to throw that ball if that guy picks it off. Yeah, what are when, you doing throwing up a jump ball a check in that down situation that might make a first down. Exactly yeah, right. We're so, ready to rip you for that. And so he goes from maybe being franchised to building a big house right next to you. <laughs> no, you can't afford my neighborhood. I don't, I don't care what that payday is. We're very selective over on the shore and what we do. Um, all right, let's, let, let's talk about now because obviously these two teams are matched up very well with one another let's talk about the organizations going forward because that's the other thing i think <clears throat> san francisco in, partic- in particular and trent belke's done a great job yeah. you don't hear a lot about trent belke's name as a general <clears throat> manager and in fairness to jim and jim's done a nice job but a lot of these places pieces were in place before jim harbaugh got there you had a little bit to do with that mike nolan mike singletary and that organization they've done a nice job piecing this thing together and they are built for the future here. i'm glad you brought that up because you're darn right i had something to do with it we drafted brian jennings <laughs> all right long that's snap- the difference maker. long snappers are that's people too. different makes her right so you know and and but here's what jim has done because this draft class hasn't contributed at all right, right? because a the, the team was very it was pretty solid. good to begin with. It's right. hard for anybody to break in, and we'll see the juries out on some of these guys. But you, you know, you're talking about the team that has been in place. Although Jim's first draft and Trent Baalke's first draft with Alden Smith, huh? He only leads the league in sacks. First two years, 33 and a half sacks. That beats Reggie White. Good start. How about this Colin Kaepernick kid and uh, you know Bruce Miller? They're fullback. The league is getting away from fullbacks. These two teams have good fullbacks. I love it. But uh, Jim, what he's done was taken the guys that were already there that seemed to have underachieved, right. and they were always right there with Mike Singletary or Mike Nolan and were unable to finish games or get any momentum or gain any confidence. They didn't seem to develop to their full potential for some reason. Jim is doing that right now. He's got this team confident. It's a business approach. I've watched them practice. It's like clockwork. I was very impressed. Way back in the spring, I said this team is without question a Super Bowl contender because of the way they practice. And so Jim has got that out of these guys. I don't think anybody works the locker room better with their players than Jim Harbaugh. Maybe it's because he's 16 years in the league. But his approach and pushing and prodding the players and pushing his players towards the leadership of his coaches and the structure he's put in place is as good as anybody that I have seen. On the flip side, in Baltimore, obviously, Ozzie Newsom. I mean, mm. uh, you have to give Ozzie credit. I mean, we talk about, for me, 
uh, one of the great coaches in this league ever is Joe Gibbs, mainly because when you look at his success, so three different quarterbacks. Three different quarterbacks. Normally when you look at a, 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 a Hall of Fame coach, you can name the quarterback right away that goes with him and why he got there. <laughs> yep. And that's not, you know, when you, when you talk about Belichick, it's going to be Brady. Talk about Bill, it's going to be Joe, Joe Montana. When you talk, talk about Chuck Noll, it's, it's going to be Terry Bradshaw. So there's that natural, and that's understandable. That doesn't diminish what they did. Joe Gibbs did it with three different guys. Ozzie Newsom now, over a span of 12 years, has taken two different teams to the Super Bowl with, in this first one with a very questionable coach, you know, and a, and a semi-questionable quarterback. Uh, and, and now with John Harbaugh and, and uh, Joe Flacco, two different coaches, two different quarterbacks over that span of time. That's pretty good. It's pretty good, and this team is, uh, is built to last, too. They, they're going to lose Rafe, of course, and maybe Ed Reed. But after that, you know, T. Sizzles, the old man on the, on the team, and they're, they're really built to stay, you know, with Joe Flacco and Ray Rice and Marshall Yonda and all these young guys that are just entering into their prime. They're, it, they're not babies anymore. They're veteran guys that have four, five, six years of experience, and that, that means to me that they're built to stay for a while. Yeah, and, that's, and, and the organization, they, I think, are one of the top, organizations you're talking about new england obviously the pittsburgh steelers i'm talking about staying power even philadelphia and i know with the change and andy and whatever and their ability to sustain what they've done over a number of years i think both these organizations are structured now baltimore's proven it over the last 10 years certainly uh, uh san francisco seems poised to be in that same situation where they can sustain this for a while yeah and, and when you there's one thing about having rookies on your team all right and playing and playing well but it's also another thing to have guys on their second contract. What that means is, yes. that means is, A, they've been healthy enough to sign another contract. They've been good enough to re-sign for a lot of money because their second contract's a big one, much more than the rookie contracts that we're giving out right now. And both of these teams have players on their second contracts because they haven't been making a lot of mistakes in the draft. Two-thirds of their starters are from the draft, which seems to be the formula that these teams that win Super Bowls, whether you're talking Packers or Giants or these two teams, you'd want to build from the draft and then add when you can, if you can afford it, if you've managed the salary cap properly, to add some free agents to plug in some spots. Okay, we're going to finish with this because you and I haven't been able to do this all year long, and I love having you here with the energy and the perspective. But two great teams, young quarterbacks, one a first-round draft choice, Joe Flacco, uh, I think it was 17 or 19 that they got him. Second-round draft, Tristan Colin Kaepernick, who, who the 49ers move up to get all but a second round. Russell Wilson's a third-round draft quarterback. You know, obviously Tom Brady in the sixth round. So the, the point being that quarterbacks in this league, that you got to have one, can come from a number of different places. You and I are both sitting here in no small part doing a podcast on Super Bowl in a room with it's just you and I and, and the, the rats, okay, <laughs> because we missed on – on quarterbacks, okay? And you can't miss on a quarterback in this league. I want to ask you, if you're in charge of a team right now, if you're one of those bottom-end teams, and if you're a bottom-end team, it's because you need a quarterback. Mm -hmm. What? Give me the attributes you're looking for in a quarterback. What can you quantitatively put your hands on? And I don't even need names with this draft class because I don't think it's a great one. Yeah. But say, you know what? <clears throat> Knowing the league, and you and I have a unique perspective on the league now because yeah. we kind of the blinders are off, which I find very helpful. Tell me the qualities you're looking for in a quarterback. Um, some of the qualities that I look at first, Brian, are intangible qualities. They're not necessarily physical attributes because of height, size, speed, all of those things. Because when you, when you look at the, 
the wide spectrum of the successful quarterbacks in the league. You get guys like Tom Brady, who's got the slowest 40 time at the combine ever for a quarterback, and the guys that you know can't run very fast, or they're taller and they're pocket guys, and they throw it through. And we're getting a variety of guys. Russell Wilson is five ten and at five eight. He's my size. If my hair's up, I'm a little taller. And so there's a variety of physical qualifications that one can have to succeed, but he better be tough. That's number one, and I don't care, uh, and I'm talking about some physical toughness, you know, like a Brett Favre was a tough quarterback, but he's got to be mentally tough, too, yeah. because it's not a smooth ride. It's not all a bed of roses. You've got to be thick-skinned. Uh, You've you got to be able to have a selective memory after interceptions or losses or criticism from the media or your teammates or whatever. You've got to be tough that way. If, if you're not, forget about it. Do something else. You've got to be smart mm -hmm. because there's so much to learn for the quarterback that is unlike all the other positions. Let's face it. You've got to know what everybody on the offense is doing, what everybody on the defense is doing. You've got to know what the coach is thinking. You've got to be a game manager, a smart guy with the rules. And, and so if you don't have those two things, toughness and smarts, right. let's, let's start over and look for somebody else. Right. And that if intelligence, can... is, it's harder to quantify, too, because Bill Walsh would have called it a functional football intelligence. Absolutely. Not necessarily. It's not book know, smart, it's necessarily. It's not book smart. It's not the wonder lick. It's this, that. But there's a functional football intelligence that you're right. When you sit and visit with these guys that have got it, they seem to be able to process that in a way that probably goes far beyond whatever book smarts that they have. Yeah, and so... And so if, uh, if you guys haven't read Brian's book with Bill Walsh, it's a must read. All right. <laughs> all 750 pages. That's a lengthy read. I'm not kidding. <laughs> it's good stuff. But um, that's what makes the position so hard. The divorce rate on first round draft choice quarterbacks is about 50% because, because oftentimes they go to bad teams and nobody plays well. Oftentimes it's not a good fit with the system. Oftentimes the guy just uh, doesn't cut it, doesn't have it. Or you find out he doesn't have the confidence to deal with the bigness of this And that's thing. the hard part now because the fans and ownership are going, I see Andrew Luck, I see RG3, I see uh, Colin Kaepernick, I see Russell Wilson. Boy, that is the answer. Wait a minute. If they can play well. Then Wait a minute. We're also talking about at that same time, uh, Jake Locker. We're talking about uh, Ryan Tannehill. Christian we're talking Ponder. about Christian Ponder. We're talking about Blaine Gabbert. Andy Dalton. We're, we're talking about some guys that, that, okay, there's some misses in there too now. And some we don't know if they're misses. Some look like they may be misses. That, that, you know, there's no guarantee. That's why the point being that it is so hard to quantify. Bill Walsh never took a first-round quarterback. And he will tell you it's because, one, you can't afford that miss. Mm -hmm. you, could, you can't lose your, your guru card. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and it's so, you know, even just at the first pick in the second round, you can buy a little bit of time or you can buy a little bit of leeway. But if it's a first-round quarterback and he doesn't hit and you miss, then, by God, no. it's Podcast City. Now, listen, Mr. Podcast. <laughs> one of the reasons that Bill didn't take a first-round quarterback is because in the third round right. one year in 79, he got this guy named Montana with skinny legs, and so he was the guy he didn't have to draft exactly the right. quarterback. But I will tell but, you what. I was in that room when we drafted Joe Montana. Right. I was on that administrative staff. Did John McVay have something to say about that? Or when, when I was, and Rizzano? a lot of people, a lot of, Tony Rosano, a lot of people are taking <laughs> I will tell you this. We took Joe Montana in the third round. Yeah. And I have no skin in this game. I'm just a slappy back-end uh, PR guy that my job is to get the coffee and the donuts, okay? And I'm bear, watching all bear this. Claws. Bear claws. Um, we just took a guy. There was no jumping on the table. We've just taken the next Hall of Famer. We've right. just taken – it was, yeah, we kind of like this guy. Yeah, let's take him. 
and 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 move on. Yeah. And so obviously, once we got him, we saw him, and I don't want to discredit it all, but and this, it took a while before he started. Absolutely, Steve DeBerg was. Yeah, that's right. And so it was, uh, you know, that revisionist <laughs> history on what it takes to be successful. So, well, this is fun, man. We've uh, we're done with the Coach Show podcast. Make sure you check us out every Monday. Uh, usually Monday at 6.30. Of course, this week in Super Bowl, it's every day during the week. Today, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, whatever day it's today is. Today's Wednesday, isn't it? I'm all over mm, the place. I think so. But we're on every day of the week on the Coaches Show, 6.30 Eastern, on the NFL Network. 